tell me Nazlan, which is more difficult? A Turkish woman stepping on the moon in the next two years or a new civilian constitution in Turkey? Yes, President Erdogan seems very ambitious on all fronts nowadays, isn't he? But given the fragmented Turkish society, I think putting a man or even a woman on the moon seems easier than writing a constitution that all political parties will consider just. Particularly after some parties have already said that they will not discuss it now. But establishing justice has been one of the main struggles throughout history all over the world, hasn't it? This is the Turkish Coffee Podcast by Nazlan Ertan and Aygen Aytaç. Two witty women who've been friends for decades as they traveled and worked all over the world. Everybody wants justice in Turkey. Students and academics want justice and academic freedom. Turkey's imprisoned politicians and journalists want justice and fair trial. Women want justice and ensure that the rights that they have on paper are implemented. And the LGBT feel that they cannot reach justice at all. Those who carry the burden of economic crisis most, the poor, want social justice. And I want justice for animals who cannot speak themselves, but who are tortured and killed. So we have already established again that everyone in Turkey is after justice. And the Justice and Development Party, which has ruled the country for nearly two decades, wants a new constitution. Yes, leader of Justice Party, President Erdogan, called for a new civilian constitution. The stress on civilian is important because the last two constitutions of Turkey have been written right after the military coups. Though, of course, as you know, they have been amended many times by parliaments. One would like to think that this civilian constitution would put rights and liberties at its heart. But many of the critics say that this is just a ploy to consolidate the presidential system and lead to a new elections law. But will it satisfy the country's desire for human rights and justice? That's what we should be discussing. Or will it reflect the AKP's sense of justice? The concept of justice changes from person to person and even one person can take up justice differently at different times of her life. If you are a man who enjoys paternalism, you may well be less sensitive to gender equality. If you are a woman, then you are more likely to support a system which redefines women's rights. And you, who has spent the last week reading about justice, tell me, how could one establish a just society? Well, one theory says that you can only design a just society if you are behind a veil of ignorance. In other words, you will design a society, but only know your role in the society after everything is set up. This sounds like one of the games we play at team building sessions in the corporate world, which I totally hated. <laughs> in other words, suppose you designed a society in which you ignored the rights of black, gay, single mothers who were without a job, and you came back to the world as one. <laughs> exactly. You don't know whether you might end up man, woman, poor, rich, student, lecturer, factory worker, nurse, straight, gay, blind, or with wheelchair, an imam or a rap singer, or even a cage fighter like my former hairdresser. Really? Was he? <laughs> well, it was actually a she, not a he, from the depths of Anatolia. Isn't it interesting? Yes, it's fantastic. And so is the whole idea of veil of ignorance. Unfortunately, the idea doesn't belong to me. This was suggested by the American author John Rawls in his 1971 book, A Theory of Justice, 
which is regarded as the single most important work on social justice in the last century. Indeed, perhaps behind a well, the lawmakers may opt for a much fairer society than we have now. Actually, what I meant by fantastic is that Rawls' idea sounds rather like a fantasy <laughs> and not at all realistic. It is a bit like the blindfold of Justitia, the goddess of justice. She's always portrayed blindfolded to guarantee that she's blind to the fact that the people before her could be young, old, rich, poor, angelically beautiful or sinfully ugly. But this is seldom the case. Yes, you may not be born as a gay, black, single mother, but your conditions may change in your lifetime. <laughs> Let me tell you the story of a retired Turkish governor. He told me once, when he was a governor, he used to visit state hospitals regularly and didn't see anything wrong. But after his retirement, when he was hospitalized, he noticed the broken windows and rotten things in his hospital room. That is because he, as a retired man, probably did not get the best room in the hospital, like the rooms he was shown when he was inspecting in official capacity. <laughs> Perhaps when he was in his earlier powerful position, he hadn't noticed the wrongs. When he was an elderly patient, he didn't have power to change things anymore. But even when we have the power to change things, we prioritize some changes over others. And some people benefit more from those changes, and some people profit less. Yes, political theorist David Miller says, when we are arguing about justice, we are discussing how the good and bad things in life should be distributed among members of a society. When we attack a policy as unjust, we are claiming that a person, or usually a category of people, enjoy fewer advantages than they ought to enjoy. Or carry more of the burdens than they ought to carry for the so-called greater social good. Exactly. Who decides what that greater good is? Take the Ulusu Dam, which was opened last year in southeast Anatolia. The government argues that it is for the good of the regional and national economy. But the whole village, Hassan Cape residents, had to move out of their homes because of this dam. Yes, they were given new houses, but they didn't have a choice. Putting a price on people's lives, homelands, memories, cultural heritage and ideals is normal for some social justice theorists, such as utilitarians. What is happening in Hassan Cave is awful, of course. I don't agree with your utilitarians, but I may agree with one thing Jeremy Bentham, their father, said. What? While talking about deterrence as a just way of punishment, Bentham pointed out that extreme measures, including public executions, which were quite common at the time, can often incite rather than deter crime. Indeed, while harsh punishment could, in theory, deter potential criminals, severe legal violence can create martyrs and heroes and increase society's problems. But isn't that a common theme in politics and in literature anyway? Rising over the tyrant or an unjust system is all over literature. From Le Miserable to Ince Mehmet, Mehmet my hawk, written by the famous Turkish writer Yashar Kemal. In the latter, Mehmet, a high-spirited, kind boy, grows up in a desperately poor mountain village. But he turns out to be a hero, a liberator for his people, while trying to escape from serfdom, extreme humiliation and punishments of the landlord. Yes, lack of justice and not having anything to lose opens the way for justice warriors. That's why while attempting to create a just society, no person or category of persons should be left out. Well, that's very much the line of the United Nations. In fact, February 20 is the World Day of Social Justice. This year, the UN focuses on the people who are at the bottom of the digital divide. 
people who do not have access to the internet, though the digital economy is transforming the world of work. This brings us to the importance of capabilities, which are constantly stressed in human development reports by the UNDP. Governments need to look at the special needs of certain people and groups while designing policies. It's not enough to say, look, I have built bicycle lanes everywhere. It is important to check whether everybody has the means to get a bicycle, have the capability to learn or even stand on one because we don't know whether they have any disabilities. So some facilities like roads, bridges and computer systems may be seen as excellent in general. But whether everybody can benefit from these is an essential question in the way of building a just society. UNDP publishes global human development indices each year to monitor the progress of countries from this point of view, right? Yes, and even though Turkey is among the highly developed countries in this human development index, it has serious issues of distribution of wealth between the rich and the poor and between men and women. It has issues related to the education level of people, especially women, and their participation in economic and political life. And let's not even go into the democratic values. Turkish society has inequalities on many fronts, preventing it to be described as a just society. Well, to underline the gender issue, we are all unhappy with the level of participation of women, particularly in policymaking. We do not need women only to make and implement laws, but also watch for the higher principle of justice. Turkey's human development level would also increase if women can participate more. You know, there's a legal principle from ancient times, habeas corpus et subsecandium. What have you come up with again, again? <laughs> it sounds like the Latin name of a flower to me. <laughs> <laughs> I know. But it's an important legal principle that protects individual freedom. According to this principle, no one, not even the president, monarch, or anyone else in power can detain someone illegally. Instead, they need to bring the detainee before a court and allow that court to determine whether or not this person can legally be held. <laughs> But there are many societies who couldn't bring their laws even to the level of the ancient legal principles yet. Turkey is infamous for its long pre-trial detentions, particularly for journalists and activists. Osman Kavala, Turkish philanthropist and chairman of the Anadolu culture, was put in jail in 2017. And he has been kept there for 447 days until an indictment made clear why he was in jail. Yes, different governments find ways of keeping suspects in prison before a trial. Guantanamo prison in the US is another example. As a matter of fact, throughout history, humanity has been trying all kinds of systems to bring or avoid justice. Sometimes it was based on customs, ideology or religion, like in Anatolia until the establishment of Turkish Republic. Yes, the Ottoman Empire used Sharia, the Islamic rules, for its Muslim subjects, but allowed non-Muslims to have their own laws. But going back to the times before the empire, I rather like what they have done in the 11th century with the importance given to justice in the Kutatgubilik. <laughs> now how would you explain Kutatgubilik? A poetic guideline on how to rule. Its literal translation would be Book of Politics. Is that right, Professor? <laughs> yes, Western version of these are the mirrors for princes. In Kutad Gubilik, which is very difficult to pronounce for foreigners, justice is... Seen... And, and for us. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. In Kutad Gubilik, justice is seen as one of the main pillars of the state. And if that pillar is missing, 
then the whole state is doomed to fail. Yes, similar ideas were articulated by Nizamul Mulk in the same century for the Seljuk Sultan Melik Shah in Siyasetname, another book of politics. He had advised the Sultan to meet common people in person twice a week, to listen to their problems. He said if you sit in huge palaces behind the walls and curtains, malicious people and oppressors around you would prevent the oppressed from approaching you and telling you the truth. In other words, do not surround yourselves with platterers or clappers because their applause may deafen your ears to the voice of real people. You know, this reminds me of Hüsnü Mübarek, the former Egyptian president who ruled his country for 30 years until the Arab Spring. When he was forced to leave the office, he turned back to people and said, but I was your father. <laughs> Libya's Gaddafi probably felt the same way. Yeah. Probably they couldn't see the real situation in the country due to people who built Chinese walls around them. Yes, this is a historical lesson, isn't it? Siyasetname and other books of politics were quite popular among Ottomans and Neo-Ottomans of today. The young Turkish Republic, however, looked at Western models to formulate its legal system. According to academics, due to the lack of legal expertise in those times, Turkish legal system couldn't catch up with the new developments of the age and failed to produce new models. And it was never modernized in an organic way, but only through big traumas. Now that we are showing off what we are reading, let me reciprocate. <laughs> traumas still seem to be the rule in Turkey, and there is always some excuse to sidestep the legal system. Since the Republic's foundation in 1923, 40% of the time, the country was administered under emergency rule, either nationwide or regionally. Not only were there states of emergency after the coups, but also after unsuccessful coup attempts. For the good part of the 1990s, southeastern Turkey was under the emergency rule. In COVID times, meaning nowadays, we have not had an emergency rule yet, but by now Erdogan has acquired so much power that he simply rules by decree, regardless of constitutionality. One of the main problems of justice in Turkey is the dependence of the judiciary. Other problems include the unchecked powers judges enjoy over judicial proceedings. Judges can close trials to the public for reasons of public morality or security and ban press coverage of investigations. After this grim picture, going back to the general issue of justice, what do people do historically when they don't live in a just society? Well, isn't this precisely where the idea of civil disobedience comes in? Historically, from Martin Luther King to Mahatma Gandhi, people took action either by protests or simply by refusing to obey the laws. <laughs> yes, or when they completely lose hope of getting justice, some smart people in Turkey go to one of the many reality shows to solve their problems. By chance, last night, I was watching an interview with the hostess of one of those shows, and she said she could settle a complicated case in two shows, whereas the court would take at least two months. Or two years. <laughs> but this makes me think of a dystopian novel I have read called Blind Fate. In this novel, all legal issues were settled in a public trial on giant screens. This is precisely the antithesis of the blindfolded goddess of justice. Do you want justice? No, we just want a good watch. <laughs> Can law be called law anymore if it is just a good watch or humanely intolerable? No, of course not. Then it becomes a dystopia. And that is what we are going to discuss next week. Yes, bye for now. I'm